Hello, and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Sararis, and the playoff preview series of episodes continues with the first half of the Islanders and Penguins series. Today, we're going to be talking to Hunter Hodes of the Locked on Penguins podcast to talk about the Penguins' chances of making a run in a very, very difficult East Division. Amongst other things, we'll touch on the storylines from the Penguins' season coming into this year. They've been very dinged up. And Penguins coach Mike Sullivan has done a really good job of navigating a difficult situation where his team has lost a lot of games to players being injured. Team was really dinged up. I mean, they went multiple months without their number two center, Evgeny Malkin, several months without Kasperi Kapanen, their prized offseason acquisition from last year. Their general manager quit pretty early on in the season. They brought in the Brian Burke, uh, Ron Hextall brain trust. They made a move for Jeff Carter. A lot has happened with the Penguins. One of the more... I won't say interesting, I'll say compelling teams, because I really do think, like I've said for a while now, that no one in this division is really going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Colorado, a Carolina, a Tampa, maybe even a Toronto if it comes down to it. So it's going to be a really, really difficult path to whatever team is the survivor of the Islanders, the Bruins, the Penguins, and um, the Capitals. So... All of that said, do have to remind everyone to please help grow the show any way you can. If you're using Apple Podcasts, you have an extra step for me. Hit the subscribe button. Go to the show's page at the bottom. There's going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button that says write a review in purple letters. Leave me a couple sentences. I wouldn't complain. A nice review would, it would help. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. If you're on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, if you listen to podcasts on SoundCloud, throw the show a follow, please. And with that, I'll see you guys on the other side of this drop with Hunter. Plays it to the near side corner. Crosby arrives in behind the net. The Crosby line causing some... Problems here, scores, Gensel, goal number three, is the game winner in game three. And with that, I welcome on one of my really good friends, the host of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I hope you guys checked out the episode we did yesterday on Hunter's feed, where we talked about each playoff series individually, kind of a snapshot, drop-down view of each series, a little bit, not entirely predictions-based, because that wasn't the whole point. It was more or less to have a conversation, but it was a good show. I hope you guys give it a chance if you haven't gone and listened to it yet. How you doing, Hunter? Not bad, man. It's another gorgeous spring day here. The weather actually looks like it's turning around, and we're now just three days away from the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, so I am getting... Much more excited as each passing day goes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we get to enjoy the only league in the world that's going to have a regular season game and a playoff game on the same day. I can't wait. It's going to be such a great day. Everyone wants to watch... Everyone wants to watch Calgary-Vancouver, man, even though those games don't mean shit. So, (laughs) that's just... I can't wait. They mean something to the NHL's TV rights. That's the only reason they're being played. It's not like they have tickets to sell. It's not like those are two teams in the States who could, you know, sell tickets and be like, we don't want to give the money back. Well, not a good reason. It's a better reason than just being like, well, yeah, we promised TSN 56 games. So you guys are going to have to play 56 games. Sorry about that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. At least, you know, I guess there's like not going to be any fans there just because of what's going on in Canada with COVID. But yeah. I guess they, the league wants them to finish their seasons, even though both those teams, especially the Canucks, have had it really rough this year. Yeah. And speaking of teams that have had it rough this year, one of the things I've really found interesting about the Penguins this year is this is more or less the same group of guys who have been here forever. It's just a matter of dropping in the guys around them. They went out and got Coppin in last year. They paid a pretty price to get Coppin in, in the offseason. They bring in Jeff Carter at the deadline. But what's really impressed me with Pittsburgh is they did a lot with a little this year because of how dinged up they were. They lost, I think, the most or second most games of any team in the league to injury and They've endured. Uh, a lot of teams would have just, you know, it's a shitty season. It's only 56 games. Let's worry about getting it, everybody, 100% for next year. We get one, two more cracks at it with Sid and Gino before we have to figure out what we're doing there. But the Penguins persevered in spite of some pretty shitty conditions. I mean, they didn't have Malkin for, what, two months? Kapanen, two months? That, those are two where you're expected to be five best contributors on the entire team. So they've really impressed me this year. Yeah, I mean, they had 248-man games lost to injury. As you said, it's top five. I, I believe it is second most among any team. Um, you know, they're just lucky that they didn't have a COVID outbreak as a lot of other yeah. teams did. That would have made matters that much worse. But, you know, that just goes to show how good of a job Mike Sullivan did with the group and why, in my opinion, he should be the favorite for the Jack Adams. I mean, Joel Quenville obviously should be up there too. Rod Brindamore, Dina Basin from Minnesota. But in my view – it's Mike Sullivan and then just a little bit of a drop off um, towards everyone else. Yes. You know, I might be biased and just Mike Sullivan is the head coach of my team, but you know, the fact that they got first place in the toughest division in the league this year with 248 man games lost to injury, as you said, Evgeny Malkin missed 23 games, Kapanen missed around 15, but they also had Teddy Bluger out for a month at the same time. Yeah. Brandon Tanev was out for about a month. They were missing four top nine forwards. Um, virtually almost all season. I mean, there's other injuries. I think, well, I mean, Brian Dumoulin missed about 12 to 13 games. Mike Matheson has missed a bit of time. John Marino was out for a little bit. I mean, they had Yannick Weber playing um, as their number six defenseman for a little bit. And he's basically been their number nine when they're fully healthy. And, you know, Tristan Jari started out the year 850 save percentage. KKC to Smith wasn't much better. And then right after mid-February, the team really started to get it together um, the goaltending came around. The, the top six really started to produce. And then the the, the depth even more so. Um, this is probably the best depth that we've seen from the Penguins in terms of scoring, um, probably since their 2016 Stanley Cup run. I saw this article from Adam Gretz from Pro Hockey Talk in Pennsburg. Um, when Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin are not on the ice this year, the Penguins 5v5 expected goals um, per 60 is 2.74. Um, with Sid, it's 2.75. With Gino on the ice only, it's 2.72. Uh, that comes courtesy of Adam Gretz. That just goes to show how well the depth has played this year. And a lot of that, as you said, they got Jeff Carter. He has nine goals, almost a point per game. And But you pair him with someone like Jared McCann, who finished the season with, I think, what, 14 goals. He's on a $2.9 million cap hit. He leads the team in goals above replacement if you look at evolving hockey. Um, if you go to Hockey Viz with Micah's stuff, um, the expected goals for per 60 is 2.49 with him on the ice. The expected goals against per 60 with him on the ice is 2.13, um, which is both are a lot better than what we saw last year um, when it comes to McCann. So um, that, that's like another huge reason for why this team was able to, I mean, I think exceed a lot of expectations is because they had the depth and that 
that third line, that's a matchup nightmare uh, for any team that goes against them, not just the New York Islanders, in my opinion. No, that's one of the things that if you want to consider yourself a serious contender to make a run, you got to have at least three competent lines that can score to some degree and a fourth line that won't just get pinned in your own zone for 45 seconds every single time it's on the ice. And the Penguins, when they're healthy, and I believe you said Tanev was going to be ready to go by the time the series started. And I don't know about Evan Rodriguez, but you drop those two guys in and you can pluck guys out. That's a really good 12 forwards. I still think Boston has a better 1 through 12 overall, but they're right there with them. The Penguins are right there with them in terms of talent, 1 through 12. Yeah, it's it's a 1A, 1B thing if you look at both of those teams. Um, but yes, Tanev will be ready. He's been practicing fully these last couple of days. He's going to be reunited with the Ashton Reese and Bluger line, which uh, they haven't had a lot of on-ice time this season because a lot of them have been hurt. But in 140 minutes of 5v5 time, their expected goals for is 57%. And they've outscored the opposition six nothing. So um, they're living in the other zone, and they're not really allowing anything in the, in their zone. So that's usually the line that Mike Sullivan likes to throw out to the Wolves against other top competition and see how they do. Curious to see what he does against the Islanders. You could throw them out, out against this Zekas line um, if you want to really be interesting. You throw them out against the Barzell line, but I think he might put Sid out there against them, considering he's their uh, best defensive center. But and you ask for Evan Rodriguez, it's going to be him or Frederick Goudreau for the 12 forward spot. It looks like and Frederick yeah. Goudreau has actually been really good. You know, people forget how well he played in the 2017 final with Nashville. I think he had three goals in the, in the six games against Pittsburgh. But this year, um, he's not only produced in a fourth line role, but his defensive um, capabilities have been really nice to see. He's good on faceoffs. I know people find faceoffs very overrated when it comes to the game. I, I get it. I personally am not of that opinion. Um, there's been a lot of times this season where Pittsburgh has lost a faceoff and there's a goal that's scored within two seconds of it. So um, I am still of the opinion that faceoffs very do much matter in winning those um, are just really just a huge key into winning, winning a game. And Freddie Goudreau really helps the Penguins in that regard. But yeah, one through 12, you know, you have your top line with Gensel Crosby Rust. You have Jason Zucker on your second line who. I understand he's been kind of the whipping boy this year. He hasn't produced as well as we all thought he would be, but I think in these last 10 games, you've seen him um, really up his compete level and he, he's getting a lot of chances. That That's the thing. He's just not cashing in on them. And um, he was starting to a bit as the season started to end. Yeah, I think he had goals in back-to-back games. Um, Gino had a really nice feed to him against one of the games in Philadelphia. Um, I thought he played well in the last couple of games against Buffalo. So he can be fine next to Malkin and Captain and talk about Captain. I mean, I was not a big of a fan of what they gave up to get him top 15 pick. You could have used that for other stuff, right? You could have traded for a different top six winger, but he was really good over 30 points in 40 games. His underlings weren't bad. I know his shooting percentage was a lot higher this year than in prior years. And, you know, part of that has to do with the playing with the Malkin for most of his time. But I mean, it's just, and it it really is a lot of fun to see this team really just, like I said, exceed expectations and their top 12, you know, they can roll out any line they want and they'll be in the offensive zone, I think is my main thing. And, and I'm sure we'll get to the defense in just a second, but um, this is probably the deepest score group they've had since 2017. 
The thing I wanted to ask you was, how, has Pittsburgh changed how they played at all? Because the results have been relatively different from the team they had last year that went into the bubble and had a hard time against Montreal with not a ton of roster turnover. You're talking about dropping one guy in here. I mean, realistically, what we think of the Penguins going into this series is not the roster the Penguins had for a lot of this season because so many guys were dinged up. So did anything change in the style of play? Did they try and slow the game down, make games a little more low event? Did they try to turn games into track meets to try and just score more chances, create more chances than the other team at the expense of defense? What was the adjustment like in terms of how they played this year? Because the results are different. The Penguins this year played significantly better than the Penguins last year, and with less talent. Like we said, no Geno, Kapanen didn't play most of the season, um, Zucker, like you said, had struggled a lot of the season, and they only dropped in Jeff Carter, you know, 20 games to go, 15 games to go. So what was the difference this year? I think it's a multitude of things. Mike Sullivan has always been with his big speed and skill attributes just for him as coach of this team. But I think the big thing is they tightened up a lot defensively. If you go to uh, Mike's page at Hockey Viz, if you're subscribed to it, um, Pittsburgh's 5v5 defense this year, their expected goals against per 60 minutes is 2.3. Um, if you go back to last season, I mean, it's it's kind of similar at 2.27. But this year I've just seen a much more more – I guess, team commitment to defense and their personnel is a lot like more suited for it. Like no longer do you have Jack Johnson being up meaningful minutes and Justin Schultz on the bottom pairing. Now it's Mike Matheson and Cody Stacey. And, you know, you have the right defensive pairs that can actually do what Mike Sullivan wants to do with the system. Like sure. Part of it might be low event hockey, but the Penguins are still creating chances at a high rate. It may not be at the rate that they were doing in 2016 and 2017, but it's still at a good enough rate where it's better, I think, than last year. And it's definitely better than the year before, which I think the roster was a lot worse in 2019 because someone like Jack Johnson was eating up top four minutes and they had Eric Goodbranson on the bottom pair eating up bottom pairing minutes. But, I mean, it's just you finally have the roster – that goes to Mike Sullivan's coaching strengths. I think under Jim Rutherford, those prior two years, he didn't have the right roster in place to really, I guess, play the, the style he wants this team to play. Now that you have that deep forward group that can go into the offensive zone at ease, you have the very mobile defense. And that's, I think, one of the biggest things why I like the Penguins so much more in this matchup against the Islanders is that the defense is so much more mobile and that's what he likes. And that's what's contributed to their play on the offensive zone and just stifling teams in the defensive zone. You look at the Pedersen Marino pairing. That's one of the best shot suppression pairs in the league. It, it basically, if you look at their underlying numbers and you watch them play, it, the teams that come in, whatever line it is, it's one and done. They, they Pedersen and Marino just get it out. And that's when you saw Marino really turn his game around was when Pedersen came back to playing with him. It was not, it wasn't going to work with Mike Matheson because Matheson and Marino both love to have the puck on their sticks. Mike Sullivan, when he has his great defensive pairs, you have a player like Dumoulin on a pair with Latang. Latang always loves to have the puck. Dumoulin is the kind of guy that can cover for him, skate the puck out of the defensive zone. You know, just you know, he's the defensive defensive. Then you have the other pairing with Matheson. CC, CC's the more defensively responsible player. Didn't think I'd be saying that in 2021. <laughs> yeah. And then you have Matheson who. I've always said is the full chaos player. He loves the puck on his stick. He'll, he literally is a zone entry in himself. He, he will not pass it to go into the zone. He will just do it all by himself. And then you have Pedersen and Marino. Marino likes to carry the puck into the zone himself. Matt Pedersen 
he likes to have the defensive responsibility. So I think that's been the main difference with the play this year is that they actually have the right roster to shut teams down. And in a lot of cases, as usual with a team with Sandy Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, just come at you in waves and stifle you in the defensive zone. Are the Penguins, would you say they're a transition team or are they a team that likes to slow the game down? And would you say that in a matchup against the Islanders, the way the Islanders like to play could be a problem based on how the way the Penguins like to play? It, it could be a problem, but, you know, if you watched how they played the Islanders uh, in the season this, season, this year, yeah. Yeah, I, I went back and watched some of this. You know, they're a lot faster with their breakouts against them this year than in years past. And in 2019, I went back and somehow watched that horrifying series the other day. The Penguins were way too slow at breaking the puck out. And the Islanders also knew when to dump it in and where to dump it in because they had the different pairings on the ice. And if it wasn't Dumoulin and the Tang out there, they were going to lose that battle to New York every single time and their four checkers gave Pittsburgh fits. Now with these defensive pairs and these forward lines, it's going to be a lot harder for the Islanders to win this series because what's the weakness on the Penguins defense? There's not really that glaring weakness or that big like pair that you can exploit as in years past with Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz or, you know, just Jack Johnson and Marcus Pedersen or whatever, or even Eric Branson down there. So that's the big thing I've noticed. I think, I do think they are a bit more of a transition team this year. They can slow the game down. I mean, they do that all the time when they hold the lead late in the second period, all the way in the third, they will trap it down and one their they will run, excuse me, their one, two, two neutral zone trap to just say, Hey, you're not going to get through here. We're just going to continue to do this all game long. And they've done that in quite a few games this year. I remember that game against Boston, that Sunday afternoon game. It was a one nothing game. After the Penguins scored early in the third period, they just dummied the Bruins down. And I think the Boston only had two high-danger chances that entire game. You know, you want Pittsburgh to play that game, they will be more than happy to because they have the right personnel. But now as for the Islanders, it's still a tough matchup because obviously Barry Trotz is still a really good coach. His system works, even though it's a bit boring. But that being said, with what I saw this year, the Penguins, they're so much better at breaking the puck out of their defensive zone and just, just going in transition, getting it in the offensive zone, starting their four-check phase. And that gave the Islanders fits, and they just honestly couldn't even keep up with them when Pittsburgh was doing that. I mean, I haven't gone back and rewatched any game yet because I've been lazy in my preparation for the playoffs. But I know from the, the Islander-Penguin games this year that I do recall, I, I know, the like you said, the Penguins like to fly out in transition and the Islanders play one of the sl- more low-event style of games of anyone in the league where they're going to dump the puck into the zone, they're going to cycle the puck for 30 for 40 seconds, they're going to try and generate a point shot from one of their guys to rip a shot, whether it's Letty, Pulak, Pellick, or even Scott Mayfield, and then they're going to try and clean it up down low with someone like a Josh Bailey, a Brock Nelson, who's going to be around the net waiting for a rebound, and like you said, the Penguins defense, the overhaul they embarked on over the offseason where it was kind of addition by subtraction where, you know, you just let Jack Johnson leave and you let Schultz leave. And it's been better for them this year and it's worked out for them. And I know most people coming into the season didn't have Pittsburgh winning this division, which I know it doesn't feel like the Penguins won the division. Everybody was kind of just penciled the Bruins, Flyers, Capitals and Penguins in some order. And it depended on your personal preference, but everybody figured they were going to finish behind the Bruins. And it's just kind of a credit to 
Mike Sullivan and that group of guys, you know, they took care of their shit. It's not easy to handle adversity, and especially in this kind of season where everybody has been inconvenienced at some point, whether it's another team messing up your schedule and that kind of thing. But circling back around into the point I was about to make, when I look at these two lineups, I think the key for the Penguins is going to be maximizing the scoring opportunities you do get because there are going to be fewer overall scoring chances just because there's not going to be as much space. There just isn't. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to really have to make sure that when Sid and Gino get their respective shifts in the offensive zone, that they're cashing in on these chances. I mean, the Islanders don't usually give up a lot of high danger chances per game. That's just, that's their MO. You know, Barry Trotz has his team coach to not give up, chances overall but especially high danger chances they want to make it as easy as is possible on a goalie such as Semyon Barlamov who had a really good season but you know is still past his prime and I know they have Ilya Sorokin back there in case Barlamov falters but you know they want to make it as easy as possible on their goalies that's how their system goes and you know this is going to be a big series to see how the Penguins depth goes I mean you saw how it was this season with 2.74 expected goals per 60 um, when Crosby and Malkin were not on the ice so how will the Jared McCann and Jeff Carter duo on the third line do I mean you know you can put any one of Freddie Goudreau and Evan Rodriguez next to them uh, but how many chances will they get in the Islanders defensive zone I think that's going to be a big question mark for this series but I overall agree with you like this is they have to make sure that they are cashing in on these chances they did very well in that regard in the eight games during the regular season against them. I mean, they, they lit up Simeon Varlamov and um, I think a few of the games, I think his save percentage overall against Pittsburgh was below 900. So he was, that was, I think the one of the few teams that he struggled against the season because he had like seven shutouts was like, I think had a save percentage of like 925, 930. I think maybe it's even a little bit higher considering how well he played. Um, but you've got, I think the Highlanders are going to tighten up even more. Um, from the playoffs. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how that chess match goes between Mike Sullivan and Barry Trotz, because I mean, everyone that knows hockey and has watched um, it over the years, these two coaches have gone, gone at each other um, four times already. Actually, yeah. Wait, no, yeah. Is it four times? Yeah. So this is I think so, yeah. basically, yeah, this is the fifth time they've gone at it in a playoff series since 2016. That's just pretty crazy. So I'm really curious to see how that goes. And, you know, what what line does Barry Trotz match up against the Sid line? Does he go Zizekas, Martin Clutterbuck? Does he put Barzell against him? What line does he go against the Geno line? Is it the Bailey line and the Nelson line? I'm just, I'm curious to see the big chess match to what goes on there. I mean, these are two of the better coaches in hockey. I know I often yeah. talk about on this show that there's about five good coaches in all of hockey and these are two of them. Sullivan and Trotz are two of the better coaches in all of hockey. They're very good at the in-game decisions. They don't let the game get away from them. You're not going to see their team not try something different over the course of a seven-game series should a series go that long. And I really am curious to see how this series shakes out from a momentum standpoint because there's no way to quantify momentum, but... I don't want to bring up 2019 too often because, like you said, the team is very different from then. But something was just different when those teams met that time because, again, the Penguins were a more talented team when they went head-to-head back then. And 
the Islanders just jumped on them, and the Penguins weren't ever really able to get their feet under them in that series, and that's a very real thing that can happen in a playoff series between two teams, is one team just isn't ready for the moment, and, you know, they get caught off guard, and it doesn't go well for them, and I don't know who that's an indictment of, and you wonder about that kind of thing, but looking in the grand scheme of things, I do think whoever comes out of this series probably could win... I think anyone in the East could win this division realistically, if we're being honest, but I do think if Pittsburgh comes out, I like their chances against a Washington or a Boston more than I do the Islanders, and it's for the reasons we've been talking about this entire episode. They've got the coaching, they've got the veteran team, they've already been through a ton of adversity, so what's a little bit more adversity, that kind of thing. So in terms of the matchups, we're looking at the rosters. The thing I'm very curious to see is how the Islanders use the Pellet-Pulik pairing, because that's been the best defensive pair in all of hockey when you look at the underlying numbers. They control shot share, they don't take yeah. crappy shots, so whenever they're on the ice, it usually means the Islanders have the puck in the offensive zone, and you're going to have a hard time getting it away from them because they do such a good job of maximizing the opportunities they do get. And I wonder what, just who you use that against, because you figure that's going to get... 30-ish minutes a night probably in a playoff series the pulak pellic pairing between special teams and five on five and it really makes for an interesting decision from the islander side of things because you're gonna put them out there against sid you're gonna put them out there against gino how do you use a defensive pair like that and how does that make you feel in terms of who do i want out there against their best defensive pairing when you have last change I think they're going to try to do it as much as they can against the Crosby line. That's the best line on the Penguins. And Trotz is going to want Pelic Pollock out there against them as much as possible because, as you said, their shot share is really good. They control the expected goals to a very high degree. Um, even if the actual, with the actual goals, they outscore the opposition at 5v5 um, very well. And then, you know, after that, um, I think with the Geno line, they're going to go up against the second pair competition a, a bit more and then that will allow i think the carter mccann duo to really feast on maybe the bottom pairing and then the astronomy's blue can of line you know what does trots do with that and you know i think the same thing with the pollock pair uh pellic i just i can't stop it's, it's just so Pulak, I, I Pelic, like, it's hard it's Pulak, hard Pelic, yeah, paul, paul staggerball uh, the former voice of the penguins on the at sports now he always would have a stroke trying to say it so um i, I just pulled a total paul stagger all there but yes pollock pellick um it honestly goes the same with dumal and latang who does mike sullivan want to have them go out against you probably think it's the barzell line right i mean mm. because latang is, is, is i mean he's great offensively he's still good defensively but dumlin is the best you know defenseman in, in his own zone on this team so and they also have their, their really some really good underlying numbers and they control the shot share very well as well. So I'd have to think that's what Mike Sullivan would do um, in response to Pellick and Pellick going out against the Crosby line. So who wins the matchups after that? Pedersen Marino will go out against anyone they want to. They control the shot, the shot suppression numbers to a very high degree. They can go out against the Sezikis line. They can go out against the Nelson line. Um, it, it doesn't really matter. And then Mathis and CeCe, They'll just get the third and fourth line competition. They've been getting that all series long. Um, as for like what Trotz will do outside of Pollock and Pellick, uh, he's going to have to ice the second pairing, I think, as much as he can against that Malkin line. And that's another big question. What version of Evgeny Malkin will the Penguins get 
in this series. I mean, you know, is it the version that we saw earlier in the season where he didn't have his legs yet, his hands weren't there? You know, or is it the version that we saw after that where, you know, he really turned his game around? I know he came back for four games. He didn't score, but he was putting up a point per game. He's still not 100% yet. He, he practiced mainly in full today, but didn't do the scrimmage. But, you know, how will he play? Um, and, and I think that'll determine, you know, how the Penguins will potentially win this matchup um, as it goes for the Islanders icing what defensive pair they want out against that line. When we think about this series, big picture, I really am curious to see because the Islanders, for all of the warts they have, mainly Leo Komarov, I don't hate their forward group. Like, I know Zajac and Paul Mary haven't played that well since they got there, but on paper, the third line of Paggio, Paul Mary, and Oliver Wallstrom, who had a nice rookie season for them, that's pretty good. And that second line of Bovillier, Nelson, and Bailey. None of those guys scare you in the regular season, but all three of those guys played really well for them in the bubble last year. I mean, Bovillier is one of the better playoff players in the entire league where his numbers in the regular season aren't insane. I mean, he might give you a 45-point season, flirt with 20-25 goals, but playoff time, he what really makes Bovillier dangerous is... Like you said before, the Islanders do a really good job of limiting the high danger chances against where they funnel you to the outside, you have to settle for a crappy shot, and by the time the defenseman's recovered the loose puck, is already ready to break the zone and counterattack, and it's reminiscent of the way a less talented soccer team plays where they're just going to put everybody behind the ball and you're going to have to go through 10 guys to get through, and as soon as the team that's trying to attack turns the ball over. The furthest up player is immediately going the other way on a counterattack. And it's how the Islanders played last year in the playoffs. And I know we don't think of the Islanders as a transition and a pace team, but the versatility they have, they can play a little bit of flexibility in terms of their style because of Barzell, mainly because he can create his own own entry whenever he wants. And because of Bovillier, because he's fast enough to get out of the zone quickly and generate odd man rushes. And... I think we're going to get a really interesting matchup between this forward group of the Islanders and the defense of the Penguins, because I think the Penguins forwards will take care of it. That That's what I expect. I think, honestly, the weakest point for Pittsburgh is probably the, the defense in relation to the goaltending is, can the defense give the goaltending a chance to play well? And if the goaltending has to stand on its head for two out of seven games, is that possible? I think the goaltending, at least for two games, is possible. We've seen a lot of Tristan Jari this year. He obviously didn't start out the season as well as anyone thought he would. He was 850, I think, through the first four to five weeks. Um, that was unacceptable. He just got that new contract of three and a half million per. But something changed after around February 15th, February 16th. Um, from there until around the end of the season, you can count how many games he was below 900 um, almost on one hand. I think it's only about six to eight. It, 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 it's close to, closer to two hands, but I mean, it, it, there's not many games where he was below 900. I think if he has to stand on his head for one to two games, even two, as you said, um, he should be able to do that. I've seen a lot of weird takes about Tristan Jari these last couple of days that, oh, he's not that good. He didn't have a good season. Considering what happened with him at the start of the season, he had a 5v5 save percentage of 917. I mean, that's better than league average people. I really don't understand where, where we're getting these takes from. Um, maybe it's because – People are still mad that Marc-Andre Fleury is still not here. I don't know what it is. Um, 
but it's just you know also going back to that point what you said you know someone like brock nelson has been a penguins killer in the past and that 2019 series every time the penguins would allow an odd man rush one of the players on that rush was brock nelson coming the other way and almost every single time he beat matt murray whether it's glove side blocker side i almost felt bad for matt murray after watching those highlights again because he did all he could in that series, but the Penguins' defense was just so optional when they were playing in that series. I just think the main thing was they got too cocky playing against that team. Like, oh, wow, we have more depth. We have more high-end talent. I guess we're not going to pay attention to the details, and that screwed them obviously really badly, and the same thing happened last year. So I think a big thing that's not getting talked about enough is have the Penguins learned their lesson these last couple of years against playing against these very defensive first teams. You saw what they did in 2017. They beat a very trappy Ottawa Senators team. Not the best team. I know they had Eric Carlson, who was the best defenseman in the league. Um, but their forward group was not that good. But it also wasn't headlined by someone such as Matt Barzell, who can, as you say, he's a he's a zone entry wizard in himself. And another player that is also a pest of the Penguins is Jordan Everly. He doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. He's always been an underrated player. I think he was good in the bubble last year for them as yeah. well. But, you know, you said at best that that Nelson, Bailey, Bovillier line is going to be a problem. I'd, I'd wager that Pedersen, Marino are going to get the bulk of the shifts against them. And then they're going to have Dumoulin, Latang go out against the Barzell and Everly line. For some reason, Leo Komarov is on that top line. Don't really understand that. And then because saw, yeah. They're stubborn and they refuse to change the way they play that first line. And they just, they had Anders Lee standing in front of the goalie being a body and actually being actively good at it. And they figured, okay, who's the other big guy on our team who could stand in front of the net and be difficult for a defenseman to move? Leo can be difficult to move, but Barzell, excuse me, Barzell, Anders Lee actually has hands. Like he can redirect pucks and he can actually make a play on a rebound, whereas Leo Komarov. It's just kind of a warm body at this point. Like, he can skate slowly, he can move the puck slowly, and that's really it. He doesn't really give you anything aside from size. That's really his only input, but yeah. go ahead, continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it is a, a bit weird, I guess, that he's up there, but, I mean, they could also change it in an eighth time they wanted to, and then I guess the Matheson CC line will go out against whatever a line Palmieri and Zajac is on. And I'm not even sure Zajac's going to play a lot in this series because he's just been a total flop since coming over from New Jersey. I think Palmieri has only four to five points in almost, what, 20 games since coming over from the Devils. Um, that trade is definitely not looking good. And you also said it, Anders Lee is such a huge loss, especially in yeah. this kind of series because the Penguins have not been that good at getting the opposition away from their net front. I mean, they just allow anyone to stand in front of Tristan Jari and just say, okay, just bake a cake right here so he can't see the puck. Um, and not having Anders Lee out there is going to be a big problem, I think, for the Islanders in this series. So, um, like I said, again, if I had to guess that Beauvillier line, which is going to be a matchup problem for Pittsburgh, probably going to get the bulk of the shifts against the Pedersen-Marino pairing. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Matt Pedersen-Marino is one of the best shot suppression pairs in the league, as I've said, probably. 5,000 times. And, you know, say if the defense is not having their greatest game, you know, I think you can have Tristan Jari stand on his head for a game or two. He's shown the ability to do that in countless games this season already. You obviously don't want to do it for a full series, but if it has to be done in a game or two, I think the Penguins can get away with it, especially with how uh, good their high-end talent is. 
All right, so I've asked. I'm asking this que- these couple of questions now to everybody who comes on. These this is kind of the series snapshot. So aside from goaltending, who would you say is the most important player for the Penguins if they're going to win this series? Because every team's obvious answer is yeah. If we can have great goaltending, I think we can win. Who is your X series X factor? Man, that's a that's that's a tough one. Um, no, I'd be inclined to say Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, but you know, you usually know what you're going to expect from them. So, and the same with Crystal Tang. He's had a wonderful season. I think one that's flown under the radar of a lot of people. I think he should be getting a lot more Norris love than some other people are. Right now, I, I'm not saying he should be a finalist, but I think he should definitely be getting some consideration for it. But my big X factor, honestly, might, I, it might sound weird. I might go Jeff Carter here. Um, Nine goals coming over from the Kings. Um, he just he gives that third line a dimension that they didn't have prior to him coming over. You know, when you looked at this team when they were playing really well before the deadline, they were in position to go for first. You're like, okay, what do they need? The defense is set, the goaltending is set, most of the forwards went healthier set, but you still don't have that next center, right? Do you really want Mark Jankowski to get meaningful minutes in a playoff game? No, he had four, basically six points all season. Hard pass. Three, by the way, half of his four goals were empty net goals. Again, no thanks. Um, so they went out and got Jeff Carter. Basically was a point-per-game player, and he's the exact kind of player that they needed at the time, and he's the exact kind of player that they will need in the playoffs. He's one of the best volume shooters in the league he goes to the dirty areas he's kind of like a mini Patrick Hornquist in a way well he'll go to the front of the net park his huge ass right in front of it and you won't be able to move him just because he's so big so and that's where he scored most of his nine goals this season with Pittsburgh have come right in front of the net and that's an element that they were missing like I said he's a great volume shooter and him the duo of him and McCann again have been so lethal against any opposition that comes out against them. That's another big matchup I'm looking forward to seeing. Who does Barry Trotz put out there against Jared McCann and Jeff Carter, both of which are having outstanding seasons with the Penguins respectively. But I do think the big X factor is Jeff Carter. If he continues to play the way we've seen him play within Pittsburgh, um, that they will have three lines that you will not be able to take the puck off of. What worries you the most about the Penguins going into this series? What are you most concerned about? I, I just think like a drop off, you know, like okay. you, you can't, you, you, you can't drop off. You know, I'm just, I'm worried that, you know, oh yeah, like we played the Islanders well this year. Let's just continue to do the same thing and whatnot. And, you know, you have to evolve your game. Like sure. You can do some things that you did well against the Islanders, but you know, the biggest thing they got to continue to do is, you know, break the puck out of the defensive zone so much faster than you did in 2019. You know, start your four-check cycle in the offensive zone a bit sooner. You know, have your team speed. Go at them in waves like they were doing in the regular season. I just don't want there to be a layoff or a drop-off in play. That's what happened in 2019, you know, where they just got embarrassed. You know, no more dumb defensive miscues and odd man rushes. You know, uh, during down the stretch of the season, you did see some weird moments with the Penguins where they were giving up a lot more goals than they usually have been for most of the season that can't fly against this kind of team because the Islanders are usually also a very opportunistic team. If you give them chances, they will make you pay, even though their high end talent is not where it is in Pittsburgh. But I mean, I think that's my main thing. I understand that Pittsburgh is a favorite in this series, rightfully so with how they have played. I like their roster better than them, but that being said, 
The Islanders are still a very dangerous team. You saw what they did in the bubble last year. They took Philadelphia to school. They embarrassed the Capitals in the same way they embarrassed Pittsburgh the year before. This is a very dangerous team with a still a very elite player and a very good shutdown pair in Pelik Pollock and a good goalie in Varlamov, who I know is a bit banged up. So just like I said, continue to do the things that you've done well for the regular season, but just at a higher level and have no drop-off in play. Other than that, I think they should be fine. The roster this year compared to 2019 is so much different. I mean, they have the right personnel to play against them this time. And right now, man, I, I haven't made my full prediction yet. I think I'm leaning Penguins in six right now, but I could see it going seven. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Those are that's a that's a reasonable concern. I definitely understand that. And you get like I said yesterday on your show, we get into the playoffs and while the data we have for a 56 game season is nice and helpful, seven games is very small. That is not a big sample. A goaltender yes. can laugh in the face of a good sample, a Thatcher Demko type situation, a Jordan Bennington, Matt Murray, yeah, where someone, Terry Price, yeah, where someone can kind of just steal a series in seven games because seven games isn't enough of a sample for an average to come out of. And we've seen a lot of teams get 58, 60% expected goal share in a seven game series and lose because they got goalied. And yeah. that's part of this story. And like you said earlier, the Islanders do a really good job of limiting the responsibility of their goaltender. It's why Varlamov has such good numbers, his save percentage, his goals above expected, because they don't ask him to do a lot. So what he does have to do, he's okay at. And I'm very excited. I think the two series in the East are honestly going to be the most competitive, nasty first-round playoff series. I, the Battle of Florida might be a little more flashy. Um, Montreal-Toronto might be a bit more chaotic. But I think these two series are going to be grind it out six, seven game series where it's going to be a bounce or two is the difference because the talent differential between all four of these teams isn't that big. I mean, we saw it. It came down to the last week for someone to win this division. Yeah, but both of these series, you know, you said I said it on my podcast with you yesterday. I'll say it on yours here as well. You're running through the gauntlet with these two series and they're going to be, I think, two of the more closely contested ones overall. I mean, there's definitely ones out there that I think are going to be a lot shorter than the others. I think both of these series will go six to seven games, especially Boston-Washington. And I will say the same with Pittsburgh-New York. You know, I've seen some people saying Penguins in five and whatever. I'm like, chill the brakes here, people. I, I don't think the Islanders are only going to beat them one time. I think they will beat them twice. That being said, I like Pittsburgh's matchup in this series a hell of a lot better than I did two years ago. Again, they have the personnel to match up against them a lot better. And I think that will pay huge dividends here. And I do see Pittsburgh um, advancing to the next round where um, right now I'm leaning towards Boston seven with that series, but I'm excited to get this going again. Can't wait to see what Mike Sullivan and Barry Trotz do with each other. You know, what are the matchups going to be um, with the defensive pairs and the forward lines? You know, you said at best, these are two of the five best coaches in the sport. Um, I know they have two different play styles, but, you know, I was listening to what Barry Trotz said after the game on Monday against Boston. You know, he even said, he's like, we, we know how Sully plays. His teams are always very structured, very disciplined. They're very, they're all, he even said they're a lot deeper this year. So he, he, it's going to be a challenge for them. And uh, I'm just, I'm excited to see what he does and what Sullivan does in return. Okay. The last question before I get you out of here, sir, 
not including a Penguin series, what playoff series would you like most like to see and why? And it can be a cup final series, it could be a second round or a final four series. What two teams would you like to see play each other from an entertainment standpoint? Yeah. You could go like I mean, playing styles where you could have like Carolina versus Colorado. You could do something like I just want chaos, like Toronto Boston in the cup final. Whatever <laughs> your heart desires. I think, you know, the obvious answer is Vegas, Colorado, just because yeah. we've been waiting to see that for an Two age years now. now. We, should have had it yeah. la- we should have had it last year. Just Nick, give it a best of nine, first of five wins, and the winner <laughs> goes on to the Stanley Cup final. I think that's basically what we want to see here. But Colorado, uh, Carolina, or Colorado, Tampa Bay, would be yeah. a lot of fun. I love to see Colorado, Pittsburgh, McKinnon versus Crosby. Um, Nate has looked up to Sid ever since he could remember. They're also best friends. They also play two very exciting styles of hockey. Um, I also kind of bandwagon the abs at times when my team is not playing. And um, also Peter Forsberg was my favorite player ever growing up. So I kind of have a soft spot for the abs there. Um, But um, overall, if I had to pick one, it is Vegas, Colorado. Both these teams play such an exciting brand of hockey. If we do not get this after the first couple of rounds, um, I will be very mad online. So um, that's definitely the biggest one. But if I had to pick it like 1A, 1B, 1C, Colorado, Pittsburgh, um, Colorado, Carolina, Colorado, Tampa, or even, you know, Boston, Pittsburgh. I, we've been we've been waiting for the rematch of that sequel. Well, we've been waiting for a sequel to that 2013 series, excuse me, um, for the last eight years. Seeing Bergeron go up against Sid, I mean, it, it doesn't get a lot better than that, to be honest with you, Hell well those two teams are constructed both the both those teams four groups are so deep the deep both defenses are really solid and i'm sure i know to Rask has the edge in net but um i said it on your podcast i've said it on mine too that's the last dragon that sid and gino have not beaten as for a yeah. rival team they've beaten everyone else so um for them to win that one um, and just to see it overall would be awesome i would take seven games of that any day of the week I think we're going to get Boston Pittsburgh and it's going to be very good hockey and it's going to be very good TV and we're going to be, I really do think we're going to get the playoff series we all want and deserve this year. I think we'll get the Carolina Tampa in round two. I think we'll get Vegas Colorado in round two. I think we'll get Boston Pittsburgh in round two. We're going to get treated this year. We're, the good the gap between the good teams and the bad teams has never been bigger than it was this season because they've all played each other eight nine times if you're in the canadian division so the good teams have really separated themselves and kind of i don't want to say they can outclass their opposition but i i mean we're talking about some very dramatic mismatches in some of these round one series i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with hunter we will be back tomorrow to talk with my boss Ethan Levy from Gotham about his islanders we're going to talk about his concerns about the islanders going into this series and if you aren't already, check out Hunter's podcast, the Locked On Penguins podcast, all major podcasting platforms. He fought, throws it up on Twitter every single day. If you're ca- looking for a link, that's probably the easiest way to find most people's podcasts is click the link, take it to whatever podcasting platform you like to use, hit the little follow button, support your content creators. We are working our asses off this time of year. I'd like to thank Hunter for coming on. I will see you guys tomorrow. 